And uh, we're going to begin in verse 21 and come down through verse 24, and then we'll jump down to verse 35 and go through verse 43, and you'll see why here in a moment. Uh, but it is Father's Day, and I wanted to do something today that would uh, maybe encourage and, and challenge uh, fathers Lord, Lord, uh, by the Lord's Word today. And, and um, I want to look at Mark's Gospel, and, and I think there's some things here we can glean that are good for us to heed and pay attention to. and. Uh, that would be used to encourage us as well. And I've titled the message, A Great Father, A Great Father. And I think that's probably the desire of all fathers. We want to be great fathers, don't we? But what is it that makes a great father? And I think there's some things we can glean from that here today, and I pray to be encouragement to us. So Mark chapter number 5, beginning in verse 21, down through verse 24, and then we'll jump down to verse 35 and continue through verse 43. The Bible says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. We come on down to verse 35 now, where this narrative picks up. It says, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. We think about a great father today. What is it that, considers, what is it that makes any man great? You know, in our world, great men are very much overlooked and unnoticed and unnamed. The great men of the world, the world likes to think that great men are those who are great leaders who have accomplished a whole lot, great athletes who have won titles and broken records, great doctors who have saved many lives, great investors who have acquired a lot of wealth, and the list could go on and on, and certainly some of those men could be great men. But those accolades aren't necessarily what make men great. See, I want you to understand that the greatest of men do not usually get a whole lot of recognition. They're usually not in the categories that we see here, although they could be. Truly great men, from God's perspective, understand, are godly men. Great men are godly men. And thus, with that principle from Scripture, we understand this morning that Great fathers are indeed godly fathers. Fathers who love the Lord and know Him are faithful to their wives and are examples to their children and love their families. These are great men. 
Now, why are these kind of fathers great men? Because godly fathers, they leave an impact that is far greater than any temporary championship, any temporary accomplishment or accolade or anything that the world would deem as great. You see, a father who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and knows Him influences his home in a way that far outlasts all the accolades that one might get in this world. See, here in our text, we see a man named Jairus. And I'm going to have to struggle with that because I have called him Jairus all my life. But I learned, studying studying recently, that that's not how you pronounce his name. So just bear with me if I ended up saying it the other way, and you'll know who I'm talking about. Now, we don't have a whole lot in Scripture about this man named Jairus, about this man. But we do have some about him here that reveals to us that he was indeed a great father to his child. Now, you might even look at this passage and think, this is kind of obscure, different kind of passage for Father's Day message. But I think that as you dive deep into the life of Jairus, you can see some things here that show a little bit about his character, about his life, and demonstrate a life of faith and even faithfulness. Because this is the kind of life every father should seek to have. They should seek to be a man of faith in the Lord, but also a man of faithfulness to the Lord. You see, if a father possesses such qualities, this will affect how he loves his family and how he leads his family. It will inevitably mark him, not just as a good father, but as a great father. Now, I don't know about you, but I not only want to be a good father, I want to be a great father. And a great father, I believe, we'll find is revealed to us in the scriptures. This should be our aim. So in our notes, I want to point out to you briefly this morning just a few things that I think that we can glean from Jairus that are general principles for fathers in the home that uh, would help us in being great fathers in this life. Number one, we find great fathers have a love for their home. Great fathers have a love for their home. And we see that in Jairus. Jairus, notice firstly, he had a deep compassion for his family as revealed here by way of his sick daughter. Now, how do we know about Jairus' deep compassion? Well, in verse 22, we find that he came to where Jesus was, right? He has come and he's seeking out Jesus. He left his home to seek out Christ for a purpose that is near and dear to his heart. And what is that purpose? What is it that is near and dear to his heart? Well, we notice what he says to Jesus in verse 23. He says to Jesus, my little daughter is at the point of death. My little daughter is at the point of death. This is why he left his house. This is why he has come to find Jesus. Because of this reality, my little daughter is at the point of death. What tragic words to flow from a father's lips. And yet they reveal Jairus, or Jairus, there I go, Jairus, he has a deep compassion for the life of his daughter. Now, we would not even have this account in Scripture if he didn't care for his daughter. If he didn't love his daughter. The very fact that Jairus is here, Meeting Jesus for his daughter shows us his love for her. It was love that provoked him to do whatever he could to try and help her with her need. And he knows that with his daughter being at the brink of death, that's beyond his control. 
beyond his power, beyond really what he can do. He's going to someone who can help. You see, any father who loves his family, I think, ought to do whatever they can to try to help their family, to try to help them in times of trouble and seek to lift them up and help them. I'm thankful that I had a dad who did that very thing. He recognized when we were in need of help, whether it be uh, physical protection or help moving something or, uh, or just financial help in times we were in need of. He used to tell me, son, I'm always going to be there to try to help you as long as I'm here. And I, I remember that very, very clearly early in our marriage. Bethany and I, when you first get married, you don't really have a whole lot of money, right? And uh, newlyweds, you understand that uh, when going through that phase. And, and uh, so we, were, we lived on ramen noodles. Anybody know what ramen noodles is? Now, if you like ramen noodles today, that's fine. I'm not down in ramen noodles. But I've ate enough of those where I don't want to eat them ever again, Okay. Uh, but dad, he would occasionally stop by and bring groceries just to help us out. Bring us toilet paper or paper towels or whatever it was, you know, because he knew we were in need. Uh, that's, that's, that's what a father's heart should be for their children. He, he ought to, uh, to, to pay attention to their needs and see how he may be able to help them. Now, I have a deep love for my own children today, and I would do all that I could in my power to help them if they're in need. And the reason I want to do that is because I love them. I love them. And Jairus here, he has a love for his daughter. He, he loves her, but he's limited in what he can do. And so therefore, he's coming to Jesus. Now, I think that the central point here is this love for the home. Because without love, understand this, a home is not what it ought to be without love. Love on the father's side. Love from the mother. Love from the children. We see this laid out through Scripture. And we've looked at it briefly in, in, in recent days coming through Ephesians. We'd learned that husbands, they're called to what? Love their wives as their own body. Paul said to the husbands in Ephesians 5.33, However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I will say this, that a father's love for his wife is one of the best gifts they can give to their children. Children need to see in the home what a husband and wife are to look like. They're not to be at each other's throats all day long. They are to love each other. Husbands ought to lead the way in loving their spouse. They need to see that love. Children do. Wives also must love their husbands. Paul instructed Titus concerning the older women in the church. He said in Titus 2.4 that they should train the young women to love their husbands and their children. Loving their spouse, loving their children. Love is to be central to the home. Love from the wife to the husband is also a priceless gift for the children to see. Then in general, parents need to just love their children. Love their children. Children are a gift from God. Do you believe that today? They are not a burden. They are a blessing. Now, there's times you may think, man, I really wish I didn't have to change this diaper, or I wish this child wouldn't be doing this or doing that, Right? But through all of those things that maybe we got to have a little patience with, the blessing is there. The blessing of the child. God said it this way in Psalm 127.3, Sons are indeed, or children are indeed, a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now, believe it or not, church, there are many fathers who do not care about their children. And I have seen it firsthand. Seen it firsthand. 
It is evidence in how they treat them or how they ignore them. Some fathers are so heartless that they would even take the life of their children. I just saw in the news recently where a man, uh, man murdered his three little boys all under the age of 10. And I think, how in the world can any man in their mind do such a thing? Sin and depravity is the only answer for that. Sin and depravity. It's, it's terrible. Natural affection flees many fathers. But not great fathers, like Jairus here. Great fathers love their children. They love their family. They love them fervently. And so, fathers, we ought to love our children. And you ought to show them that you love them. Show them that you love them. Hug them. Kiss them. Enjoy time with them. Show them affection. They ought not to ever doubt whether or not dad loves me or not. That, ought, that is a question that ought to never enter into the mind of a child. Let it never be a question for you in your home. Love must be central to the home, and the father leads the way in loving his children and his wife. Spurgeon said it rightly this way, A true father has a tender love for all the little ones. So what we see in Jairus here is a love for his family. In this case, particularly, we see it because of his dying daughter. It shows his willingness to do what he needs to do to try to help her and to help his family. And so, fathers, I ask you today, do you love your wife? Do you love your children? Do they know that you love them? Is it seen and felt uh, and evidenced in your home? Not only did Jairus have a deep compassion for his family, we see his deep commitment to his family. What else do we learn about Jairus in this short little passage with not a whole lot that is revealed, but yet there is some nuggets here we can glean? Well, who was this man? What do we know about him? Well, we don't have a whole lot of detail, but we do know in verse 22 that he was one of the rulers of the synagogue. That gives us some insight to this man. He was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, what's a synagogue, you might ask? Well, in New Testament times and in that era, we read quite a bit of them throughout your New Testament. A synagogue was a place uh, for assembly, place for worship for Jewish people. It was developed in Jewish communities throughout the Mediterranean area in the late centuries B.C. Now, many Jews would use a synagogue to worship, especially those who were in towns or cities or regions far from the temple. They would travel to the temple usually once a year, but uh, as far as their regular routine worship, they would meet in what was called a synagogue. And, and so they would gather there for the reading of the Scripture, the teaching of the Scripture, praying, worshiping God together there. And so the ruler of the synagogue, I think I put this in your notes, he was a layman there in that specific synagogue whose responsibilities were socially and religiously important to that synagogue. They included not only the upkeep of the building but also the proper conduct of the service and the choice of Torah readings. Jairus would have presided over the affairs of the synagogue, including organizing the teaching and even doing some teaching himself. Many, or if not most, of the rulers of the synagogues were of the Pharisee uh, sect in that day and time. So it was a minor leadership position in the synagogue, yet it was a very highly respected position in that day. This position didn't come uh, just to anyone and everyone. And so from this position that he holds, we can deduct some things about Jairus, especially in his relation and how he reacts to Jesus here. 
Here's a couple things I want to show you regarding his commitment to his home. Firstly, as a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus was committed to the worship of the one true God. He was committed to the worship of the one true God. This is what synagogues were for. And in such a position as a Jew, a faithful Jew, he would have been committed to the spiritual welfare of his own family. Just as the law instructs, just as the scripture instructs in the Old Testament. Now I'll read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter number 4 gives us some insight into one of the most prominent passages of Scripture for the Jews in that day and time, and still today, and there's great principle and application for us to glean as New Testament Christians today. Deuteronomy 6, or excuse me, yes, 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 through 9. He says, Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and on, they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. As you read this passage, what would you expect from a faithful Jew who leads and governs the synagogue? He would have been faithful in his home regarding the word of God. See, Jairus was committed to the spiritual life of his home. And this, friend, should be the priority of every Christian father. Every Christian father. The priority for them must be the spiritual well-being of their home. And I'm convinced today that one of the reasons the home is disintegrated is because of the lack of this. The lack of spiritual nourishment. The lack of spiritual commitment in the home. The home today should be committed to the one true God. To knowing Him and loving Him and teaching Him to our children. And we see this evidence in the New Testament as we looked at not long ago, just a few weeks ago. Ephesians 6, 4, what did Paul teach the fathers in Ephesus? He says, and fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now we know that fathers here, it can refer to both parents in that Greek term. Because parenting, no doubt, is a two-person job, isn't it? But fathers are to lead the way in the home. Fathers are to lead the way. And so Jairus here. We can deduct that he was faithful in this manner, that he was faithful as a spiritual leader, but also as a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus also would have had to have good character and work ethic to provide for his home. That also is what the father is accountable for, isn't he? Fathers are to be hard workers. Fathers are to do what they can to provide for their home. He would have been trustworthy committed to working hard and and doing what it takes to care for his family. This also is another New Testament principle. 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says to to, to Timothy, he says, And whoever does not provide for his relatives, his family, especially for his family members, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
In other words, it's a great shame when a father is lazy and does not work. It's a great shame when he does not seek to care for his family the way the Bible ordains for him to do this. And so behind the scenes with what little knowledge we have, we see that Jairus was a great father here with a deep compassion and a deep commitment to his family. So this is a challenge for me. What does my love for my home look like? What does my commitment to them look like in how I'm living? Do you display that as a father? Do you have a father that has displayed that? Do you have a father that you know loves you, that has done his best to care for you and raise you and, and, and help you in any way he can? Friend, today's a great day to honor him and love him and thank him for that. Thank him for that. Number two this morning, great fathers, not only do they have love for their home, great fathers seek the Lord for their home. Great fathers seek the Lord for their home. And this is what we see with Jairus. He's seeking the Lord. I want to point out a couple things about this seeking that Jairus shows us. Notice that Jairus Jairus sought the person of Christ in this text. The very reason that we have this account of Scripture is because he's seeking Jesus, right? Christ had been on the other side of Galilee, ministering and performing miracles and teaching and preaching. He came from the other side in verse 21, and we read a little bit about the news and how this was spreading and and all that Christ was doing in Matthew's account. Matthew 4, verse 23 through 24, listen to this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains and demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. Jairus knows about Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. The news of Jesus and what he could do, the rumors that the Messiah is here. That's what the Jews were always looking for, wasn't it? When's the Messiah going to come? When's the promised one going to come? Rumors are, 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 are flowing around Galilee and throughout Israel. So he's heard this, and in him being a well-educated Jew in the Scriptures, he is stirred about this man named Jesus. Most were. Some sought Jesus just for what they could get out of him. Some show a little bit more that they, they see him for who he actually is, right? He seeks him with all of his heart, and I believe we see him seek him with the right kind of heart. When Jairus approaches Christ, how does he present himself? In verse 22, what do we see him doing? The Bible says, in seeing him, seeing Jesus, he falls down at his feet. He fell at his feet. What's that reveal? It reveals humility. It reveals desperation. It reveals his recognition of Jesus' ability. You see, Jairus humbles himself before the Lord of all. Jairus is desperate for his help. Jairus recognizes that Christ is his only hope for his sick daughter who is about to die. He knows enough about Christ to bow before him. And so Jairus, in a bowing manner here, is is really a, a position of worship. Some translations will say that he bowed and worshiped Christ here. Jairus knows enough about Christ to bow before him as every father should. But I think something in Jairus is different than all the others. 
This is why I think he's already a believer and he sees that Christ is the one who is to come. You see, most of the rulers of the synagogues in Jesus' day, did they immediately accept Jesus or bow before Jesus? No. They questioned him. They tempted him. They rejected him. We see an example in another passage, Luke 13, 14. In your notes, notice this. Notice that in this account, after a little scuffle with the disciples, the ruler of the synagogue, same position Jairus has, but a different, different person, the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. So Jesus does a miracle on the Sabbath day, and this ruler of the synagogue is like, wait a minute, you can't do that. You're not allowed. He doesn't see Jesus for who he actually is. Jairus is not that way. Jairus does not have the same kind of response. Jairus is on his knees before Christ, pleading with him on behalf of his daughter. Why would Jairus respond in such a way? You say, well, it's probably just desperation. I think it's a little more than that. I think he sees that Jesus, he's not just another Jewish teacher. Like Nicodemus, there were many in the Pharisaical uh, uh, group that, that were quiet about what they actually thought about Christ. There's a reason Nicodemus in John 3 comes to Jesus by night. Jesus teaches him about the necessity of the new birth. You must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, you'll never see it. You'll never know it. You'll never be there. You see, uh, there were many many Jews in the days of Christ who were believing Jews before uh, Christ came on the scene as Messiah and opened in his ministry. Just like Old Testament saints, they were already converted. They were believing on the one who was to come. But when Christ, when they meet meet Christ physically, their faith literally becomes sight. You're the one I've had faith in. You're the one I've been expecting. And so Jairus here understands that Christ is more than just a teacher. He has the power that only the Messiah has as Lord. And so Christ understands whether a person realizes it or not, Christ is Lord over this world. He is Lord over life. And fathers, He's also Lord over your home. Sometimes we think that Christ's Lordship is just limited to this area, and then over here, well, that's just kind of by itself. No, friend. Christ's Lordship is over everything. Because He is the sovereign Lord. Nothing changes who He is. Nothing changes who He is. Just like they preached in Acts 10.36. You know the message He sent to the people of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of some things. No, friend. He is Lord of all, right? And this is the foundation of every strong home. Jesus must be recognized as Lord. Every father needs to know this truth. You must understand this. Christ is Lord. Every father needs not just to know a little bit about Jesus and maybe take his family to church every now and then or on special occasions. We need fathers who genuinely know Christ as Lord and they're faithful, taking their family to know Him. See, Christ is the head, the leader of the Father's life in all things. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul says to the church there, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the husband is the head of his wife and God is the head of Christ. 
Jairus sought the person of Christ on behalf of his home, but he also seeks, letter B, the power of Christ on behalf of his home. He's not just coming to Christ for anything, he's, as if he's just some random person. He, he recognizes he's, he's more, than, more than just some teacher because of what he can do and what he is doing, things that only the Messiah could do. But now we see that he really genuinely wants his power to help him. That's why he's coming. And in verse 23, what do we find? We find him with urgency. Jairus says to Jesus, it says he implored him. He implored him earnestly. He's he's giving everything in in his exertion to Jesus, asking him, will you please come and heal my daughter? He's manifesting a fatherhood that every father should see. You understand that there is often going to be problems in the home. Problems that sometimes a father can't fix. Fathers, you're not going to be able to solve every problem in your home. Jairus couldn't. There's things that I can't solve in my home. There's things you can't solve in your home. I know us men, we like to be the solver, don't we? Need something fixed? Give it to me. I'll do it. But sometimes we can't. There's things that are beyond our power. There's things that are beyond our control, our ability. And here's what we must realize with this, is that you must must look to the one who can fix everything and help your home the way that God can. I don't have the power to save my children, but oh, do I beg God every day to do so. I don't have the power to to fix things that, that go wrong, but I come to the Lord with those things. You'll not be able to fix everything the way we wish we could, even when things are bad and hurting. You know, a few years ago, Jubilee broke her leg Man, that just hurt me. She was about four or five years old. She remembers. <laughs> she remembers because every time it's got to rain, her leg feels it. I don't know why that, how that works, but when you break a bone, sometimes the weather you know, makes your leg hurt or whatever bone was broken. But uh, when she broke her leg a few years ago, man, that just hurt me. You know, my first child, here she is, she's broke her leg. And what hurt me more than anything is there's nothing I could do about it. More than anything I could do about it. It's like, why'd this happen? Why can't I fix this right now? Why can't I make her tears go away? Why can't I remove this cast? Why can't I I just fix this? The only thing that I could do is just seek the Lord, trust his providence, and say, Lord, you heal her in your time. You heal her in your time. And fathers, here's the point I'm trying to make to you. You must seek the Lord on behalf of your children. You must pray for them. Lift them up to him. This is what Jairus is doing. And this is the principle for all of our troubles. Psalm 121, 1 through 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's a great comfort for me. You think about the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's the Lord to which my help actually comes from? Wow, friend. Wow, that this God is the God of his people and we can come to him for help. Fathers, take advantage of that. Mothers, too. Pray on behalf of your family. Seek God for the souls of your children. Pray for their salvation. Seek Him for their discipleship, for their protection. Seek Him on behalf of their direction in life and the choices they make. Seek Him for their spouses. Believe it or not, I pray for the future spouses of my children. Even today. 
Because God's providential over the future and all things that are to come, right? Seek Him for all things that are important to life itself because Christ alone has the power to help your children in whatever it is that they so greatly need. Notice that Jairus says to Jesus, he shows his belief in what he can do. Verse 23, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. I don't see any doubt in that statement. He really does believe, Jesus, you can do this. You're the one. You're, you can do this. He believes in the power of Jesus. He believes that Christ can heal his precious little girl as he's healed so many already. He is seeking Christ with his whole heart on behalf of his sick daughter. I think every father should seek Christ knowing the power of Christ to actually answer that prayer. There's no point in seeking Christ if you don't believe in His power. What's the point of praying if you don't actually believe in His power? Don't go through the motions of praying. Don't just pray because, well, I should pray about this. Believe in what you're praying about. Believe in the power of God. It's not in necessarily your prayer or words. It's in the God who can answer those words. It's in Him. The power of prayer is not in you and our words. It's in the one who has power. It is God Himself. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God can save your children? Absolutely. He's a sovereign God who can save the most wretched, vile sinner in the world. I know we like to think our children are little angels. I'll testify. Mine are sitting up there. They're being cute and nice right now, but wait till they get home. No matter how wicked even our children may become, God can break their heart and save them by His gospel. You never quit praying for your children. You may go to your deathbed praying for your children to be saved. And they get saved after you're long gone. Never stop praying for your children. Because God has the power to do all things. There's nothing Christ cannot do. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We also need to recognize sometimes God's will may not be to fulfill our request for our home. Maybe you pray about a situation that didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. We're called to trust His providence in that. Every day we ought to be seeking the Lord on behalf of our families, our children, our wives. Every father must seek the Lord for their children. Fathers, I ask you today, when... Did you last tell your children about Christ, number one, if you're still raising them in the home? Number two, when did you last bring their names before the throne of grace? When was the last time you brought their names before the throne of grace? Pray for them. Number three this morning, and lastly, great fathers must learn for their home. And I say learn on behalf of growing in Christ. Because I think that's what we find a little bit here of. Notice with me two things briefly. The faith of Jairus here was tested. How do we see that? Well, we come down to verse 35 and we see where this test comes from. We see how testing this would have been. Because ultimately, understand that learning and growing, they are part of fatherhood because you're not a perfect father. You're not perfect in your faith either. You have faith if you're in Christ. But faith is something that grows, isn't it? 
You look at verse 35, and the news comes to him and Jesus. Four words, your daughter's dead. Your daughter's dead. Imagine those words coming into Jairus' ears. He's left his home to go get Jesus. He believes Jesus can heal her before it's too late. And now the words come and they're on the way. Daughter's dead. Daughter's dead. What would flood your mind hearing those words? Sorrow, fear, defeat, hopelessness. If his daughter is now dead, the messenger says this, why trouble the teacher any further? Why even bring him onto the house, right? What hope is there? Why keep going? Jesus may as well go back and help others who are still alive and be helped, right? See, this is where Jairus is tested and will come to see really the power of Christ in an even greater way than he thought he was going to see. He's going to grow through this. He's going to see something. What does Jesus say to him in verse 36? What does he say? Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Now, these two are often at war with each other, aren't they? Fear and faith. In this moment, with such news, fear would have been our natural reaction. But Jesus says that Jairus only believed. Only believe. You imagine those words of hope coming to your ears after just hearing your daughter's dead, but Jesus, the powerful Messiah, says, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. Will Jairus live by faith in this moment for his home? Does he believe Jesus is going to do this? Well, let's, we come down through this. He came to Jesus believing, but would he continue to believe in Christ's power? See, every father is, is going to be tested at some point when it comes to his faith and his family. Sometimes what we are seeing and experiencing regarding our family may greatly trouble us, and we may wonder, what's going on? We might even question the Lord. We've got to remember the great principle of the Christian life is that we don't live by what? Sight. We live by what? Faith. See, living by faith is how we learn and grow in our home. We live trusting in the power and promises of God over what we see and experiences because our faith indeed does need to grow. And we as fathers grow in our fatherhood. We're not perfect fathers. We have many flaws and times of doubt. And yet, what are we called to do? Grow in our faith, not only for our own life, but also for the sake of our family. The call to grow is so general to the Christian life. Second Peter 3.18 he says to those Christians, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord is, is so essential. Fathers need to live in this sort of way when they're, where they're growing and they're, they're leaning upon the everlasting arms. And this miracle, no doubt, would indeed grow and affect Jairus and his family and their faith in Jesus. Which leads me to letter B. And lastly, we see that the future for Jairus was changed. The future for Jairus. Now we come to see this miracle, okay? We come to verse 37. Verse 37 through 38. Notice this with me. He says, And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion of people weeping and wailing loudly. Now when someone passes away, that's the reaction. That's what you're going to find in a home. A lot of weeping, a lot of wailing, a lot of sorrow. Verse 39, Jesus says something odd. He, he says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. 
And I don't think Jesus is saying that she's not literally dead, but like in sleep, she's, she's going to get up. Because we find in this text that she really was physically dead, and other texts of Scripture say she was dead. But he's trying to show him that what he's going to do here. Verse 40, what did the people respond with? They laughed at him. Why did they laugh at him? Because they know when somebody's dead. They know. Thinking there's nothing Jesus can do. When someone's dead, there's no hope of healing, right? But in verse 41, the impossible was realized. Notice that it says he comes into this room, and who's he got with him? He's got the father, the mother, and Peter, James, and John. And what's he do? He speaks to this girl, Talitha Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise, arise. Verse 42, we find immediately the girl got up and began walking like nothing was wrong. Got up and began walking. You understand that this is resurrection from the dead. Luke's account puts it this way in Luke 8.55. Her spirit returned. Means that her spirit had departed. He brought her back to life just like Lazarus. He called him by name and said, come out. And Lazarus, who was dead for four days, comes back alive. What a miracle this is. What greater miracle is there than life from death? Can you imagine being Jairus and the mother in that room and seeing their dead daughter come back to life? How would that have affected your view of Jesus? Would that have even increased your faith in what you thought he could do and now what you know he can do and who he is? The Bible says in verse 42... That those in that room, they were immediately overcome with amazement. You ever had, you ever just been amazed and it just kind of just fills your mind? It's something that you saw or experienced? I mean, we've never experienced amazement like seeing something like this in person. But this is what they have. They're immediately overcome and filled with amazement at what Jesus has done. What power Jesus manifests here. Now, without a doubt, I don't have any doubt in my mind. Jairus knows that this guy, he's not just another teacher. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. The one God said would come and would do these kinds of miracles. Now, we don't read of Jairus any further beyond this point, but you think that this event impacted his life, his family? He was already showing the character traits of a great father, his love for his family, his commitment to them, and his coming to Jesus for them. When you truly know Jesus, you do indeed live differently. And this is what fathers are to do in their home. I want to close with one final passage in the book of Joshua, if you would. Joshua chapter number 24, verse 15. Because ultimately, when you know the Lord, it all comes down to our choice to live for the Lord in our home. Fathers have to take the lead in that. And I think Joshua gives us such a great commitment and example in his own self. In Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15, I want you to notice this. He's speaking with the people of Israel, and he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers 
that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, my house, we will serve the Lord. You'll notice that he points out that there's been a lot of false gods intertwined with past generations. And he's calling on them on behalf of, of what God has done for them, his power and might and glory, much like what we see in, with Jairus here. Christ has done something powerful and amazing. Commit to serve the Lord. He says, you make that choice. Cho- choose. Who are you going to serve in your house? Who are you going to serve in your home? Jairus owes his life and home to Christ. Christian, if you're saved by Christ, you owe your life and home to Christ. You owe it to him. It's his. He purchased it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I hope that's the conviction for all of our fathers here today. If it hasn't been your conviction in the past, you say, well, I just haven't been living that way. Guess what? You still breathing? Yep. Make that your conviction today. Make that your conviction today. Jairus displays some traits of a great father. We learn how fathers should be. There's so much more we could say about it, but ultimately this is that great fathers are godly fathers who know the Lord, love the Lord, and seek the Lord on behalf of their home. Would you commit to be that kind of a father? If you've got a father that loves you and has honored, has been good to you and and taught you truth, and done his best to provide for you, honor him today. If you can't see him, call him up, tell him you love him. Honor your fathers, as the scriptures tell us. And as a father, let us commit to be the kind of father the Bible describes for us to be. Let's stand to our feet as we close in prayer and have a song. Father in heaven, we bow before you tonight, or today, and we thank you, Lord, for this text of scripture and what we can glean in just the little bit we have in the life of Jairus. I know it's not the typical text for a Father's Day message, but I think we glean many things from it. Father, we all need to be godly fathers. And if we're godly fathers, that makes us great fathers. It doesn't matter what the world deems as great, how much accomplishments we have, how much money we have, or what we think we can do. Godliness supersedes all other things in this world. Pray that you would develop us, help us to grow in our faith. Be the kind of faithful fathers we need to be for our home, to love our wives, to love our children, to teach them the scriptures, to encourage them in their walk, to seek you on behalf of them. Help us to be that. If there's one here today that is not saved and does not know you, it's my prayer that you would do what only you can do by your grace, that you'd open their eyes to see You'd give them ears to hear, bring about the new birth to their heart, bring them to faith in Christ, that they may know him and be changed forever. We thank you today for our fathers. Help us to honor them the way we ought to. We thank you, Lord, as our heavenly father, the greatest father of all. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.